Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deegan. On the show today, we're at Campaigns Radio and Audio Advertising Summit, and we discover why the audio advertising opportunity is bigger than ever. Also on the program, the Bureau of Investigative Journalism explains the significance of a new bill tackling slaps in Parliament this week. And we'll be talking about Ken Bruce's departure from BBC Radio 2. And of course, in the Media Quiz, we'll cover all the latest media headlines. And all of those things are coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. This week, we've seen Rupert Murdoch as he's called off the proposal to reunite his media empire by merging Fox Group with News Corp, uh, for now anyway. Uh, Spotify is the latest company to join a wave of tech layoffs. Uh, On Monday, plans are announced to cut 6% of its workforce. Uh, Meanwhile, the Squid Game, this is the real Squid Game, yes, Netflix have commissioned an actual Squid Game quiz show, has resulted in three people needing medical assistance. Who could have foreseen that? Uh, But in better news, there's a new news app bringing together big-name publishers and including the FT, Economist, Telegraph and New York Times. It's called Informed and it will curate stories from some of the world's biggest publishers who its founders believe would never pay for a single new subscription. Uh, But why would anyone invest in having cherry-picked stories curated for them? Uh, Anyone heard of The Week magazine? No, me neither. Here with us is Michaela Hallam, Director of Content for Fresh Air Production. Uh, So, Michaela, Fresh Air Production, what is it that you do? We make podcasts for brands in a nutshell. Um, That is the core business model and we help brands build their own uh, editorial content rather than just renting space in somebody else's. That's kind of our ethos. There's merit in in podcast advertising, absolutely, but it's about creating opportunity for an audience to choose to engage with your content for 20 to 30 minutes rather than disrupting another listen with an advert. Well, so you've been talking a lot about that today at the conference. What makes an effective branded podcast? An effective branded podcast comes down to the individual objectives of the business behind it. And that's what we enjoy doing is working with the business to understand what they want to achieve Mm. with it. Is a podcast even the right thing for them to do in the first place Mm. is the question. Um, And if, if we agree that it is, then it's working out what those objectives are what the KPIs are going to be. How do we measure that? Because ultimately it's an investment from the business. We need that to make a a measurable return. And that's what then we build a creative format around, obviously with audience in mind. And I think one of the really exciting things about this world is that you don't get CEO talking to CEO in a room so much anymore. People are starting to see the creative opportunities in, in audio storytelling and being the brand behind bringing that content to you and that's valuable content and time spent it's it's really valuable time spent you need to 
have listeners go away thinking, I want more of that, because that's the ultimate uh, success, I think. And how do the brands react when you go, that's a terrible idea and no one will listen to that? How about this? We like to call ourselves the critical friend because we wouldn't be doing our job if we weren't challenging them on the area that we know we're experts in. We don't know their business as well as they Mm. do. We're never going to pretend to do that. But we... We know how to tell stories, engaging stories in audio, and we want to tailor those stories to both the audience that they're trying to engage with and to the objectives they're trying to achieve. And and we would be remiss if we didn't say, and you could do it this way. How might this work? And it's about kind of trying to bring that to life, I think, because quite a lot of people, this is the first time they've thought about what their brand or business sounds like in audio. Yes. And so they... It's, it's hard for some people to, and I don't mind this, mean this to sound patronising, but to make that jump from, oh, okay, I can hear this, and I've heard this podcast before, but I can't quite get to where you're thinking creatively, mm. so it's helping them on that journey to make that jump. Um, and then showing them that we can, we can measure it and we can go back to the business and say, it worked. Also with us is Gideon Spanier, UK Editor-in-Chief of Campaign and Editorial Director of PodPod. Uh, this is your event. This is your gaff today. Um, third year in a row, I think, for the event. How has that conversation changed over time? Well, big way it's changing is it's face-to-face. Um, mm. you know, uh, we actually started doing some of these day-long events uh, remotely during COVID. Um, what's interesting for us is, is two things. First of all, there's quite a lot of buoyancy around audio as a medium including radio of course but also podcasts and pod pod our title about the podcast industry it's there are lots of very interesting things that campaign tries to do which one of them is get brands marketers in the room because it's their money mm. and we've heard from a lot of different brands today from uh, lloyd's banking group and mars to hsbc well um, wildlife Fund, and just having all these different um, brands who don't, who have different perspectives mm. talking about it. And I think one of the things that's most important, audio is trusted. I can just mention, say, Twitter, but there's plenty mm. of different sites recently where advertisers, they, they, it's stressful. You don't want to be in a noisy environment. You want people to be engaged and positive. And the second thing is, podcasts in particular... Uh, it's a personal, intimate medium. And so, for example, hearing Vicky Handley from Lloyd's Banking Group, and she was saying, well, we need radio for reach. Mm. But what she was saying about podcasts is that it's a younger audience, really good for them hitting ABC 1, 25 to 54. And also we um, had a Richard Mashter from Mars, and what he was saying was there's a real sense that podcast audiences are more inclusive and diverse and um, I, I just think that all of that is really interesting. More media choices with the WWF. Also, uh, I think quoting them, not just about fluffy animals <laughs> and about access to wildlife and uh, generally a sort of sense of um, inclusivity and sustainability, bigger issues than just looking after animals. All of this plays really well in a podcast environment. And also, it's been interesting hearing from a few different people about how audio can be at the centre, but also have touch points that sit on social media or outdoor or events, uh, and it being a kind of content engine for some of that stuff too. Yeah, well, we had Roman Kemp and some of the other Capital Radio presenters here from Global, and uh, he brought a lot of energy to the room as a presenter. Uh, He came up with quite a few good lines about how, you know, they, they... rightly put the listeners first and that they need when they are talking with brands and they had Barclays their partner on stage mm. with them 
that it's got to be authentic and they can't they can't just sort of talk about it in uh, sort of flat financial terms of uh, when they're communicating with the audience uh, and Barclays who teamed up with Capital Radio have done sort of various live events of them they talk about the hospitality sponsorship mm. bit but it's a lot more than that because they want to a sense of fun banking is quite boring uh, they also uh, can get access to global the owner also has outdoor poster sites digital screens and I think it's that sense that you you know the, the, it is never going to be just about audio but audio can be very powerful at the center because actually this is it's a brand in itself I mean clearly we know about radio but you can also see that with podcasters mm. podcasters who are trusted and that came across a lot the importance of trust because if out of that you can go to those multiple touch points well someone who has been well trusted for a long time is Radio 2's Ken Bruce he sensationally revealed uh, last week that he is off um, uh, on his show he said he's off didn't say where but about six minutes later the press release dropped and he's off to Greatest Hits Radio to do roughly the same show uh, and even taking Popmaster with him as well which is I think like Britain's most popular radio moment each each day so it's quite the thing uh, Michaela what did you think when Uncle Ken is leaving the BBC it started a WhatsApp a WhatsApp <laughs> uh, avalanche in our team it was it was it was big news um, I think it's it's really interesting because he's not the first mm. to leave Radio 2 um, obviously Fee Glover Jane Garvey a bit uh, before that Chris Evans Graham Norton um, and I think it's hard for the BBC in so far as they are licensee funded mm. Their salaries are publicly available to see, and so that doesn't Which make it. Which a lot of the talent aren't happy about, are they? Well, no, no, they're not. I don't. I, I, who, the money's private. We go back to the <laughs> banking conversation. What do you want to share? But I think that that does make it advantageous when other commercial companies mm. are looking at who they might want to poach. But I don't think it's all about all about money. And what it does prove is the power of audio and the power of talent um, and the commercial value because the audience will follow, especially when a format <laughs> is so closely linked to a talent like, like Popmaster, as you say. It's a pivotal moment in many, many people's days. But the interesting thing is, as those people leave, Radio 2 hasn't collapsed. Yes. But it hasn't collapsed. And I think that's testament to one of the roles that I think they need to embrace now, which is about incubating talent. Mm. I think that the BBC needs to... I've come from 20 years at the BBC. I love the BBC. I learned I a lot there, but they can't be everything to every person. And so if they look at potentially one of their roles being a talent incubator with the inevitability, inevitability of that talent then moving on for whatever reason, and I don't think, as I say, it's all to do with higher salaries. Mm. There are lots of other packages that would be really uh, good. Well, Ken, Ken, you're 71, done that show for a long time. Um, I mean, I sort of hear that some of his reasoning is maybe about having a bit more flexibility and working from home. Uh, and that's hard for any corporation, isn't it? To, 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 to be able to cope with those sorts of things being flexible enough to uh, to allow it. I think, again, COVID's changed the world in many ways and I think people's priorities have changed and so, again, it, it's not just about salary but it might be about the other things in a package that make that more desirable than where you might currently be. Uh, Gideon, does this sort of exodus of talent, is it an exodus? Um, does it show weakness of the BBC, strength of the commercial sector? Why all the moves? Well, 
I can't answer that because I'm not sure I know all of the answer, but I definitely think that the BBC is under financial pressure because of a licence fee settlement mm. freeze. And it, actually, it's always played a bit of a role as an incubator for talent. And that's a really good thing. It's actually part of the ecology of mm. media in the UK. Uh, Channel 4, to an extent, plays the same uh, role. And, well, I am of the opinion that change is not something to be feared. Mm. Sometimes people come back as well, just to make that point. So they're not necessarily gone forever. Um, I don't necessarily think, particularly in audio, that age is an issue. I can understand mm. sometimes in television, not saying it's right, but it, it can play a, a bit of a role, a bit of a factor. Um, and I do think that, again, coming back to what we've been talking about before, it, definitely there are aspects of the commercial sector where there's money on the table. And you talk about flexibility, but we know that for, say, the news agents, presenters, mm. it was about editorial freedom. Mm. Uh, now I'm not sure you're saying that's it, but you know whether it's work, where, where you work, whatever. Um, I think the BBC is always going to come under extra scrutiny. But uh, let's not forget the Director General used to run radio and audio, Tim yes. Davy, and I suspect that he's not giving up on it. Uh- with these moves, I mean, Popmaster moving, what a great marketing advertising opportunity for the first brand that becomes uh, connected to Popmaster. Um, do these talent moves have real cash benefits for commercial media owners from the agency world? Well, that's a good question. And who, um, I mean, just being more general, mm. who owns the IP mm. is an interesting question. And I actually, I don't know the case in this situation specifically, but um, look, of course, there's a lot of money to be made. I'll give you an example from television. Bake Off. I mean, mm. that was huge. And the audiences declined relative to when it moved to Channel 4. But still, a huge money spinner for Channel 4. Um, there is a lot of money that can be commercialised and merchandised and everything else. Um, not that the BBC is um, unaware of these things mm. and so on. So um, when it comes to... Uh, advertising more generally I would just make a point one of the reasons about this summit where we've been at today brands need to reach audiences wherever they are and they'll always be interested and their agencies who help them in finding ways to insert themselves maybe in a brilliant fresh air production but it might also be in a live event or what have you or yeah could you associate yourself with uh, a feature on a show Michaela do you think Ken's audience will follow or they'll have their radio seller tape to radio 2 and won't know where to find it i think there'll be a bit of both from the uh, as i say the whatsapp avalanche <laughs> i think that um pop master will still be a highlight of the day but your radio station as we've heard in the conference today becomes a bit of a friend and mm. it's and it is beyond the talent and it 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 fulfills a lot of needs one of the big buzz slogans today has been need states but when it comes down to it it's about mood lifting or keeping you company um, and and radio as a medium um, and audio as a medium is exceptional at doing that and so I think that because Radio 2 is also so brilliant it will retain its audience. Uh, okay, something we've just heard about uh, today is that the advertising arm of the Mail and Metro, that's DMG Media, uh, set out proposals for a bit of a restructure. And according to Press Gazette, the publisher believes that suppressed market, haven't heard that phrase before, it's interesting, has not recovered as well as expected following the pandemic. Um, Gideon, is this the sort of ad recession that we've been bracing for? Is this people just trying to get ahead of what they see coming down the pike? Well, let's 
focus on Metro first of mm. all, then we can broaden out a bit. Metro is a compu- commuter-free sheet. Mm. It got launched in 1999 and was actually a massive success because um, just in London, but in other cities where it's available, millions of commuters every day. We know what has happened since uh, 2020. Uh, but the truth is, is also the advent of smartphones. Mm. If you're in London, you can get uh, Wi-Fi at tube stations, underground. All of these factors mean fewer people are looking at print. I remember that the first day of Metro, they dragged all the agencies onto the tube. Uh, hoping that everyone would be reading Metro, and they were, and it was like a great way to sell. I imagine if you did that today, as you said, there'd be people's faces lit up by phones. Yeah. Second thing, in 2020, and it's actually a really interesting uh, thing, DMGT, the owner, um, decided to keep printing Metro as a civic duty uh, or responsibility. Now, it's easy sometimes to... Um, how can I put it, raise eyebrows about yes. the Daily Mail's positioning on certain things, but mm. the parent company was committed to Metro, even though they reduced the print run. But fundamentally, habits have changed, and what you could get as an advertiser, which is an audience of one and a half to two million people um, who are sharing these newspapers, um, has shrunk. Mm. And uh, that is not, some of that is not coming back there. Most people are not coming into the London, uh, for example, or the biggest market five days a week. I'll give you another example. City AM, mm. which is this financial free sheet I stopped printing on Fridays recognizing fewer people come in on Fridays they just can't make it work I used to work in newspapers the Evening Standard the Times and uh, I also know from the advertising data that in pure financial terms newspaper print spend peaked in 2005 so we have been in decline and we are now in an 18th year I mean there have been a little bit of up and down but it's in long-term decline that's the reality. So um, you've been seeing new you know, the sales arms digitise, and uh, I think this is just part of that. I hate it when anyone is loses it their useful, jobs. Is it a useful excuse to, to, to kind of right-size and just under the, 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 the benefit of what they said about a suppressed market? Yes, it, it's not. I mean, I, I think excuse is, 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 is not nice. I mean... Mm. Um, Metro, the Daily Mail group used to be on the stock market mm. and they disclosed the numbers and uh, from memory Metro was doing about £75 million worth of revenue and making £20 million profit that's good business. a lot, that's a good business mm. right? And I bet the biggest cost was paper and distribution. Yeah. Um, uh, no one likes making job cuts. Mm. They will be, it will be a smaller business. They are now mm. private, so they don't have to disclose it. And um, yes, I mean, I don't think, I think whatever language you use, people are losing jobs because there's less money coming in. Mm. And I think that that's sad. Well, Michaela, the podcast and radio market didn't have too bad a time during uh, the pandemic. Um, is that probably because the podcast growth was good and so even it dropping off a little bit, it was still pretty uh, positive. Do you think that's still going to hold true? Have you seen any sort of wobbles from the customers that you're maybe talking to for later in the year about whether there's enough cash in the kitty to to do some branded content? I think everybody is under scrutiny to justify everything that they're spending and they need to be able to go back with data to demonstrate that it's been Mm. good spend. Um, I think that... One of the benefits of audio is it's far cheaper to create than uh, mm. video. Um, I reference um, something that I said earlier in the conference that we've got a formula that works out the cost per minute of human attention. And for a 30 second ad in daytime TV, where you might be second screening or going to make a cup of tea, our formula works that out at about six and a half pence 
per minute of audience attention, whereas WWF's podcast works at about 4p, and that's probably with headphones on and a and kind of engaged listen over 20 plus minutes. So I think there's that side of it, but also it's thinking really hard. It's all very well making something, but then if nobody listens, what's the point? Yes. So you need to create budget not just for the production which is the bit that I'm really passionate about and creative formats but also about telling people about it and letting people know that it exists in the first place otherwise as one of our clients put it you're just shouting into a cave Um, and as the popularity of podcasting for brands grows that becomes even more important it's not like you've got an EPG where you're flicking through and you can see something you have to know about it in order to decide to listen to it and so I think that's where kind of the creative flair and um, commercial now the flurry now of fresh air comes in because we will create something engaging in terms of content but we'll also help you tell the right people about it okay so back to the conference for the two of you but you both have to commit to returning for the media quiz gideon do you commit i commit michaela do you commit i commit right we'll see you later on in the show Next up, we're taking a look at a bill put forward in Parliament earlier this week aimed at stopping the powerful, stifling freedom of speech with litigation, which is known as slaps. Uh, James Ball, a global editor of the Bureau of Investigative Journalism and a regular on the show, sat down with colleague Franz Wilde to give us a rundown. So our project on Enable has been running for about two and a half years. The aim of the project is to um, look at London and the UK as a kind of centre of enabling corruption around the world. So, you know, usually you get all these stories about oligarchs or crooks uh, who are sort of making their millions off either autocracy or kleptocracy. And you kind of think, okay, that's all well and good. But actually what you've got to realise is a lot of the money flows through London and you've got bankers, you've got lawyers, you've got private investigators all working for them. So these are the enablers and, and the system itself is in, in essence an enabler as well. So, um, and this, it's an area that's uh, sort of annoyingly a little bit full of jargon, isn't it? But um, people quite often talk about sort of slaps here. Um, and it's a bit of a, a chewy acronym for strategic lawsuits against public participation. Um, but what these are in essence is sort of lawsuits designed not so much to win but just to bog down and sort of scare off journalists um there've been quite a few high profile cases that fall into this sort of bucket lately haven't there do you want to sort of talk people through a couple of them yeah and i mean this is actually a much bigger phenomenon than people are probably aware of uh because you know what you have to realize is when you do a a hard hitting story that accuses someone of of wrongdoing uh then what usually happens is you get a letter from a lawyer and, you know, obviously everyone's got a right to protect their reputation and that's as it should be. What usually is the case in our experience is these letters are just there to basically intimidate you and throw you off the scent and just really put the put the heebie-jeebies into you so that you either are delayed or you can't publish at all. Last year, we had two really big trials. Um, One was around uh, Catherine Belton, who's a very respected journalist who wrote a book called Putin's People, uh, kind of exposing the network of oligarchs supporting Putin's regime. Uh, She had four different lawsuits against her, and luckily they were all dismissed in due course or settled. 
But they were very clearly coordinated against her. And a second one was against the uh, Financial Times reporter Tom Burgess, who wrote an excellent book as well called Kleptopia, which was also basically exposing networks of of kleptocracy. What's been going on in Parliament since these sort of high-profile cases, which have often involved oligarchs or allies of Putin, how likely do we look to get change on this and who's supporting it? Yeah, so this is, interestingly enough, a cross-party issue. Um, We've got MPs on both sides who are very vocal on this issue, Particularly on the Conservative side, we've got David Davis and Bob Seeley. On the Labour side, uh, we've got Margaret Hodge and Liam Byrne. There are quite a few others, uh, but those are probably the, the leaders of the pack at the moment. And they, th- there are different kind of ideas about how to do this. One is to kind of specifically have a so-called anti-slap law, which is basically to protect journalists and other people Uh, from these kind of lawsuits. But then there are other attempts to kind of build it into other legislation in the form of an amendment. Um, Last year, the the government very firmly committed to doing something and to looking out for journalists and to coming up with laws which will make sure that journalists are protected. But What's interesting is that it's gone strangely quiet this year and we're now not sure how serious they are. And, you know, just looking ahead slightly, they're probably thinking a little bit about the elections already and they're, they're probably thinking how much of a priority is this and is it something we can kick into the next parliament? You know, the current line is they'll do this as soon as parliamentary time allows. Uh, which, as we know, is is uh, a little bit of a cop-out. There is sort of a slight irony to the sort of government support on this, isn't it? Which is that, um, as we've seen the scandal around Nadim Zahawi sort of blow up right through the week, he's made quite extensive use of lawyers to uh, sort of try and keep people from reporting over the course of years what we now know to be a very true set of stories about his tax affairs. So there's, there's trickiness to this, isn't there? It's not just something oligarchs use, is it? No, I mean, absolutely. And uh, Nadim Zawi isn't the only one. Quite a few politicians have used similar tactics. I mean, in Nadim Zawi's case, you know, there were several journalists and, and then obviously a tax lawyer, uh, Dan Needle, who, who raised these concerns and... You know, he didn't just um, he he didn't just sort of go into denial mode, but he he had his libel lawyers um, threaten Dan with legal action. And what's particularly insidious about this is, you know, these letters always sort of marked um, private, confidential, not for publication. Um, so w- what Dan did that was was a really good idea was he actually just published the letters so that everyone could see exactly how they operate. One last note on this. There's there's not only potential action in Parliament in this, is there? There's um, sort of increasing rumbles directly against the solicitors' firms who are sort of acting in this way and, you know, helping rich people threaten individual journalists, uh, demanding that letters are 
confidential or without prejudice, without warning people. Actually, there's a little bit of action from their regulator as well, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. So their regulator is called the uh, Solicitors Regulation Authority and the SRA. And they kind of have a reputation for being fairly toothless. They will crack down on a lawyer if they sort of diddle their own client. But let's remember that lawyers are not only charged with representing their own client, but also they need to uphold the principles of justice in our country. That's part of being a lawyer. And the SRA is there to look out that lawyers are actually doing this. Last year, the SRA put lawyers on notice saying that, you know, you can't be writing letters marked for confidential and just assume confidentiality. You don't have a right to do that. And and we know now that this is standard practice. And they also said we will be looking out for slaps and we will be taking some kind of action against uh, law firms that engage in slaps. Again, defining what exactly a slap is, is can be up for debate or is up for debate. So the, the real question is, where does the SRA go f- from here? Because at the moment, we haven't actually seen any real action per se. We've just, we've just heard them say, well, we're taking this seriously and we will be upping our game. So, yeah, fingers crossed, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Francois, thank you very much. You can see TBIJ's reporting on all of this at tbij.com. Follow us on Twitter at TBIJ. Follow Franz on Twitter at... Wild Franz. Or me at JamesRBUK. Thanks very much. It's time for a short break now, but don't go anywhere. We'll be back with more insight from the Radio and Audio Advertising Summit and, of course, the return of the Media Quiz. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey. 
So in a coffee break, uh, I've caught up with Adam, editor of PodPod, uh, and we were just talking about the new MA in podcasting that City University uh, has announced. Uh, would you like to go and do an MA in podcasting? Do you know what? I was thinking about this yesterday, and I kind of would, <laughs> because one of the really impressive things about the MA program, which is starting in September, I believe, is that it does seem really well-rounded from a podcasting perspective. It's not just focusing on the audio and production side. It's not just focusing on the sort of, you know, business and distribution angle. It's got elements of the commercial side, promotion, marketing, how you work with sponsors, how you script host reads, as well as all the lovely stuff about, you know, getting the best recording sound and editing tips and all that kind of thing. So it does really seem like a very complete package. And yeah, there's definitely elements within it that I personally feel like I would really benefit from as a, a podcaster. It's interesting being at City University, obviously they're a journalism school uh, and that journalism program, you see a lot of people in broadcast journalism who've, who've been through that. So mm. I'm really interested to see whether that's the same for, for kind of podcasting too. Obviously one of the, the responses I've seen online is, you know, is someone better off just joining a podcasting company than spending, you know, a decent amount of money on, on an MA course? What do you think that balances between kind of on-the-job training and more sort of uh, traditional education? Well, the thing is, it hasn't really been battle-tested yet, that dichotomy, because up until now, there hasn't really been a huge amount of podcast-specific training from an educational perspective. So it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out. I mean, obviously, on-the-job training is great, but it is also quite a difficult industry to break into in many ways. Obviously, you can start your own podcast and you know bootstrap your own network and all the rest of it, but that is quite a hard path to tread, particularly if you don't have any existing kind of backing or support or are working within a larger organization. So for people that aren't coming from that kind of background and want to get into podcasting, I can imagine that this is a good thing to, to have in the back pocket to say, look, you know, I've I've put the work in, I've got the, the credentials, and I know how to do it. And also, you know, even if you're not wanting to go into an existing kind of role within the industry and do want to start your own thing, this does give you a much better grounding from the jump than having to figure it all out yourself as you go, which is very valuable experience, but does, you know, take a long time and does have a lot of risk involved. Uh, so you've obviously been busy over the last few months since uh, joining and sort of spearheading the launch of PodPod. You're the editor. There's the website, there's newsletter, there's a podcast as well. Uh, how have you been finding it all? I've been finding it really rewarding working with the industry, with the community, with folks like yourselves, with all of the attendees that we've got here at the summit today. The reception has been really good. And one of the things I love about the podcast industry is that everyone that I've spoken to in the industry loves podcasting, loves it as a medium, loves it as a craft, eats, sleeps and breathes podcasting. And the enthusiasm and the passion for it is just really infectious and it's really nice to to see everyone's really keen to engage with it to share ideas to collaborate and it's just yeah it's it's really refreshing and you can see all of that work uh, and listen to the podcast at podpod.com
Okay, I've dragged Michaela and Gideon back from the conference uh, for the media quiz, which they are very excited about, I can tell. So let's find out who's been paying attention uh, with a look at this week's trending headlines. Uh, so you need to buzz in with your name. So Michaela, you will say... Michaela. And Gideon, you will say... Gideon. Right, here we go. Question one. Which broadcaster has been cornered into reporting on itself after a conflict of interest between the XPM Boris Johnson and its chairman sparked controversy? Say your name. Gideon. Gideon. What's the answer? Chairman Richard Sharp, the uh, chairman of the BBC. Correct, the BBC. That's right. Chairman Richard Sharp. Uh, he's been accused of facilitating a loan. It's a great word. Facilitating a loan to the then Prime Minister at the time he was applying to be the BBC chairman. Gideon, is it all a bit grubby? I'm going to say yes. Yeah. I just think somewhere along the line, we know what the BBC stands for. And if this is a very senior appointment mm. and you've been making instructions to the Prime Minister, you should just declare it. And I think you're, invest you're not investigated, you're quizzed by a select committee mm. and all of this stuff. Just don't have a skeleton in the closet. £800,000 to any normal person yeah. is, an, is just... It's a huge personal loan. Yes. Uh, if anyone wants to facilitate me uh, alone in exchange for favours, I'm very open to it. I just want to say that now. Uh, OK, question number two. Which newspaper has got into trouble with its audio freelancers? Buzz in with your name. Ooh. Michaela, I think. Yes. I don't... Is it The Guardian? It is The Guardian. So... Um, there's an email from Three Guardian producers uh, outlining an issue with how it's handled uh, a major project for the newspaper to do the slave trade. Um, this has come out of UCAN, which is a mailing list for audio freelancers, and Deadline uh, talked about it on Thursday. Um, I mean, th this remains an issue for, for all the media sector uh, on kind of race relations and um, reflecting people's lives and, and their kind of lived history and their story. Um, we still haven't got there yet, have we, with doing doing the right thing? I don't, I, I don't think this is just um, the media sector either. I think it's every sector is under the microscope to justify the choices that they mm. make because we're making choices about how we consume and we want the brands that we affiliate ourselves with to be ones that we feel confident in. And mm. again, it comes back to, that, back to that trust every time. It's authenticity and trust. Uh, right, question three. Uh, which UK tabloid is running a trial with Twitter for the beta version of Twitter Blue Business? Oh, I feel Anybody? like I've not been reading enough. Uh, well, the answer is the Mirror. So this is sort of, it links Mirror journalists to their primary Twitter account and they get a little Mirror logo next to their blue tick, whether that's paid for or not paid for, hard to, hard to know. Um, there's an interesting issue with kind of Twitter and trust, isn't there? Um, would you be happy with sort of aligning with Twitter's new products right at the moment, Gideon? I know, because Twitter does have contact with campaign, mm. that the advertising sales team and the product teams are trying their very best to make Twitter work. Mm. And what Elon Musk has done has been a huge distraction um, and the, as is well documented there have been lots of people lost their jobs they're trying to make Twitter work mm. and I think in principle actually as long as it's uh, a, a sort of basically safe sound place why not mm. why should Twitter be treated as a pariah but if I were going to be uh, getting my brand closely involved I want a lot of assurances 
And it wouldn't surprise me if I wanted to negotiate a big discount. Yes, absolutely. And I think uh, when you look at their, their ad sales, perhaps at the moment, there's a decent amount of that going on. Uh, right, I think that means it's one apiece uh, for the quiz. So you can be joint winners. Uh, you get um, a year's supply of Audio Trust uh, as, as winning, winning the competition. Uh, thank you for your time today, uh, Gideon and Michaela. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for sticking with us. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Uh, And as you know, there's just some simple things you can do to help support us uh, and the team as we bring you the media news each week, doing things like coming to conferences and chatting to interesting people. Uh, The big one is become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash mediapod, where as well as being a good media citizen, you'll also be able to access an archive of deep dive interviews with media experts. And if you haven't got the spare change for that, don't worry, but we would love for you to tell your colleagues about the show on Twitter or LinkedIn. I saw a couple from last week's episode, so thank you very much. Really easy, just find us on those platforms. Uh, we are the Media Podcast, of course. And give us a cheeky retweet. You know you want to. Um, and I'm sure you're subscribed to our podcast, but if you're not, do it in your app of choice or go to podfollow.com slash the media podcast. Uh, my name's Matt Deegan. The producer was Matt Hill with support from Phoebe Adler-Ryan, and it was a Rethink Audio production. We'll see you next week. 